0: Welcome to the key wealth matters weekly podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, January nineteenth, 2024. I'm Brian Peterangelo, and welcome to the podcast. This week, there were a lot of experts and notable personalities providing their opinions at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, so you might want to check out a few of the interesting storylines. Back here in the U.S., I'd like to introduce our panel of investing experts, here to share their insights on this week's market activity and more. George Mateo, Chief Investment Officer, Steve Haight, Head of Equities, and Rajiv Sharma, Head of Fixed Income. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealth insights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our Key Questions article series addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. In addition, if you have any questions or need more information, please reach out to your financial advisor. Taking a look at this week's market and economic news, we've got four data points to share with you for the week, beginning with first retail sales, which came in, again, about $710 billion for the month of December 2023, which was a positive increase of 0.6% month over month from November and above expectations. So that's good news in terms of what we're seeing in overall retail sales around consumer spending in the United States. We'll see if that continues into 2024. Second, we've got the overall report on industrial production in the nation, which showed a positive 0.1% increase in December, which was great in terms of a preliminary read. We'll have to take a look at that as those numbers do regularly get revised going forward. But the positive nature of it is because 0.1% growth differs from the zero percent or flat percent number we see in november as well as the 0.8 percent decline we saw in october of last year so on the uptrend but again we'll have to see how this favors what we're seeing into 2024 on industrial production and third the federal reserve's beige book report came out this week which is always coincident with the upcoming federal open market committee meeting that we've got at the end of the month which provides activity for the 12 districts across the nation Basically, the report showed that there was a majority of no change in economic activity. Basically, two-thirds, or eight out of the 12 districts, reported little or no change in that economic activity since the prior period. Of the four districts that did have some type of change, three reported modest growth, and one reported a modest decline. An interesting note within the report is that... All districts cited one or more signs of a cooling labor market, such as larger applicant pools, lower turnover rates, or more selective hiring by firms, and easing wage pressures. So we'll give you some updated data that continues to be mixed around overall economic activity. And finally, as an example of that mixed data, we've got the overall initial unemployment claims report from the Department of Labor for the week ending January 13th, which actually slowed a decline in In overall initial unemployment claims to 187,000 which again is a good news story in terms of what we're seeing for those folks that are losing their jobs and their ability to get a new job in terms of the overall initial unemployment claims reading that we get each week. So George let's turn to you for your thoughts on economic data and whether you think the economy might stall a bit like starting your car engine in the cold weather or will it continue to hum along? George?
1: Well, it is wintertime here in uh, in the Northeast, and I guess it's fair to say that um, it has been kind of a sloppy start to the year as well. And I think it's probably typical that this time of year, we, we always have kind of some spooky data and some some numbers that get a little bit uh, distorted either way because of seasonality and some other things that make it hard to get a real true sense of where things are. We also have this idea that uh, uh, that things are are transitioning a little bit where there's been a lot of uh, restrictiveness, if you will, or a lot of tightening with respect to uh, monetary conditions. And that just makes things kind of harder to really kind of understand where we're going, where we probably aren't downshifting uh, to play after metaphor, Brian, in terms of the economy and its trajectory. I think it is stalling out a little bit. I don't think it's going to completely stall out, but I think it's slowing more than anything else. But you know, it, it, the overall numbers aren't too bad, really. I mean, I think this week we've seen probably more signs of strength than anything else. You know, we got some stronger information, as you mentioned, with retail sales, uh, so the consumer still feels pretty good about him or herself. Housing is still chugging along. And of course, as you mentioned, unemployment claims continue to kind of find new loads or so. So we've made some, some pretty good progress there. And the overall labor market is still pretty healthy. You know, so I think if you kind of all those if you add all those things up in my view, I still think that it's probably um, you know, a decent economy right now. Um the Fed is probably thinking about cutting at some point, although I think we've seen many people and heard many people suggest that maybe those cuts might be coming a little bit later than initially thought. Um, but I think they do want to start perhaps normalizing policy to some extent, uh, not really cutting rates because the economy is in a recession. And as we said before, it's not so many, uh, so much how many times they cut this year, but why they're cutting, I think, is the bigger issue. And if so, so long as the economy is, is performing well, and the Fed is cutting because they want to kind of take away uh, some, of the, some of the the tightening that they did last year to really essentially recalibrate policy, then I think things are okay. So I think from our perspective, it still kind of feels to me like we're on this path towards the old normal as we've talked about now for the past several weeks. And they kind of put the old normal into some kind of context. We had a chart in our uh, investment briefing this week that talked about just how we've kind of gone through this 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 period of time where essentially COVID kind of was the, the epicenter for this and really the, the linchpin to get this this new economic regime underway, and so when that happened, we saw essentially all these lockdowns take place, and at that time, massive increases in unemployment for a really short period of time. But it was this big burst of unemployment that kind of caused everybody to freeze in in March of 2020. So the overall um, size of the unemployment uh, numbers went from six million to about 23 million in the matter of weeks, and then it it, uh, it gradually uh, declined a little bit, and now we're seeing unemployment kind of hover around where it was pre-pandemic. So the unemployment situation I mentioned is in good shape. The, the labor market's in good shape, and we've kind of normalized that. Secondly, with respect to COVID and kind of what happened uh, at that period of time in 2020, because of people being locked down, they couldn't really spend their money, but savings went up a lot. So stimulus just also spiked massively. The numbers that, um, that I guess you could kind of look back and calculate are roughly one trillion dollars of stimulus was was kind of hanging around, if you will. If you look at one trillion dollars, is kind of the number that I kind of think about. In terms of overall savings rates um, and saving levels, and that spiked over four trillion. So, and again, in a matter of months, we went from one trillion dollars of excess savings to four trillion. Um, and frankly, that was just kind of the impetus for inflation that took hold. And now we're starting to kind of continue to see inflation normalize a little bit. So, you know, you, again, you you put these things together, and from my perspective, things are, are slowly reverting back to the old normal. And one way I guess we can look at that regime is has is what's happened within the the overall uh, fixed income market. And you've talked a lot about this notion of an inward yield curve, the fact that long-term rates are actually lower than short-term rates, which is somewhat uh, abnormal. But now that relationship is normalizing again too. So what do you make of what's happening in fixed income and how do you think about that? And how do you think the Fed's thinking about that as they go forward?
2: Well, George, I think that um, you know the market has been anticipating up to last week, uh, six plus rate cuts for uh, 2024. And uh, the Fed has projected three rate cuts And so I think what the Fed is trying to do now with their Fed members and their Fed speak is to come out and talk to the market and kind of reel back uh, some of this um, notion that we're going to have so many rate cuts next next, this year. So we had uh, Christopher Waller, had Governor Christopher Waller speak uh, this week, and he talked about uh, let's be very methodical. Let's be very careful. The economy is strong. We don't need to. Really be rapid with our rate cuts uh, right now, and I think the market did not like that really uh they did not like the fact that uh the notion of a march uh twenty five base rate cut is not really on the fed's uh and the fed's agenda so I think after that we did see uh yields move higher across the yield curve uh, after fed uh Governor uh, Waller's comments, we also, as you mentioned, the retail sales numbers were very strong. That also promoted higher uh, anticipation of maybe a later rate cut, uh, not March. So when we started the year, March rate cuts were um, around 80% probability or the odds were 80% by the market. Now they're about 50-50. So you've seen a big change and you've seen the impact on the yield curve. You've seen the two-year move higher. You've seen uh, the 10-year yield also move very higher. And I think what's happening right now is uh, the market is kind of trying to adjust to maybe they were too aggressive with their uh, speculation of rate cuts in March. And I do think that, uh, as you mentioned about the, uh, about the inverted yield curve, uh, the Tuesday's 10s curve, it inverted to, it's about 20 basis point inversion right now. And uh, this past Tuesday, we saw that at 16 basis points. I think that's very important because 16 basis points has been the resistance level that we saw back in October of last year. Um, do we get to the point where uh, we actually have a positively sloped yield curve and we finally do not have an inverted yield curve? A lot of factors have to come into play in this, uh, to make that happen. I think what's gonna have to happen is that this notion of uh, rate cuts to bring the uh, front of the yield curve down and kind of have a positive slope yield curve. That's going to take a little bit of time. So we may stay in this range right now, but sixteen basis points is the uh, is the resistance point, and I think we're around twenty right now. So we might stay inverted for a little longer than we expect.
1: Well, Steve, the stock market seems to be kind of um, how long we've had some fits and starts there too this year, but the last few days anyway have seen a, a boost of momentum. What do you make of it?
3: So George, you know, it, it strikes me that, you know, you were mentioned in 2022 or 2020, a little bit earlier. Um, I was just scanning through this morning as we're within spinning distance of another all-time high. And, you know, it's fascinating to me, 2022, January 3rd, 2022 was the last time we made a new all-time high in the market. 746 days ago, 511 trading days. So You know, it's been a while since we've been here, and when you look at how we're setting up as we come through earnings season, you know, it's it's been interesting from that perspective too, because I think a lot of people were looking at earnings as being something that could help to propel the market through uh, to a new all-time high. It's really a tale of two years as we go. We're going through earnings. If you look at what's happening to the fourth quarter numbers. the 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 numbers actually the revisions are running much worse than they typically do during a during a quarterly reporting period. So the numbers for the current quarter are are not coming in great, and that really doesn't really matter which sector you look at, whether it's you know the ones that have already reported from from financials, banks, things like this, um, or, or some of the other early reporters across the board. Um, but what's fascinating is that the 2024 numbers at the same time are running 250 basis points ahead of where they normally would during the same quarter. So fourth quarter numbers getting marked down by over 400 basis points relative to average while the 2024 numbers are getting marked up. That's really kind of the the, the conundrum. The market's really more willing to focus on that forward look than whatever happened in the fourth quarter um, and that tells me that there's kind of a bias to the, to the to the upside or a bias to be optimistic about what 2024 holds relative to you know whatever has has happened in the, the near term past. The absolutely super short term, we've got three and a half trillion dollars worth of options expiring this afternoon. Um, and, and the reason why I point that out is that there's a ton of funny business, quote unquote, that goes on, on trading desks on wall street, when you've got a large options expiration, uh, happening. And, uh, I, I point this out because once you get those options out of the way today, that kind of frees the market up to move. Uh, and, and I, I believe that is given the kind of positive bias that we have set up here, um, as you get this, uh, Opex out of the way today, uh, it, it likely frees us up to to, to to move up and to take out those all-time highs. Um, the pain trade to me really does seem higher for stocks, uh, whether it's you know news articles uh, or what have you. Um, you know, it really start seems to me like we're at a place where where fear of missing out could start to kick in, yet again, and 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 we could end up uh, having. Uh, having that that melt-up that that I think that, pe- that people have, have talked about for, for quite a while, it, it may may start to manifest itself in the not-too-distant future.
1: Is there a point, Steve, or is there an indicator you're watching to kind of suggest when things get a little bit too hot or a little bit too excited? You know, if people get over their skis um, in the wintertime, that usually leads to bad things. And I wonder if the same thing could happen in the stock market where things get a little bit out of hand with, AI or just as you mentioned, kind of the fear of missing out syndrome. Uh, where, where's kind of the tipping point, or what things would you be watching to try and think that might might occur?
3: I mean, what's funny is like if you if you look at fund flows, George, like what right now there's a ton of bearishness in fund flow. so that actually has has been running you know counter to this argument that we're frothy. Some of the more traditional sentiment indicators do do show that we've had kind of a rebound from from kind of some some fairly significant pessimism, uh, late in the year to uh, to 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 optimism today. But but we're not we're not we're not extended quite yet. Um, and I would continue to look at market internals to to give to give us clues there. That's things like. You know the percent of the market that's trading at a, a one month high percent of the market that's trading above it's it's fifty day or two hundred day moving averages. You can look at different aggregate indicators like this to give you an extent of or an idea of how quote unquote overbought the market is in the current environment. And you know right now uh, we we don't see them see the market as overbought yet. Um so that that kind of again lends itself to this idea that you know the pain trade near term is higher. And and once we kind of take, in my view, once we take out those highs, it's going to be important to see what the market does. And if we start to get some kind of acceleration of momentum, then I think that you you, you would be right to start to think about taking some risk off the table. Because as you look at the the, the Fed speak, um, it to me is not 100% clear that the market's going to get what they want out of the Fed in the first half of the year.
0: So George, to finish today's podcast, I thought we'd throw you the question on an article that you wrote this week, which I thought was very timely and very relevant, always to remind our listeners and investors in general on how to invest. And so you wrote the article that was basically entitled, Is Today a Bad Time to Invest? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I think, you know, there's always a lot of worry that we talk about that investors have to climb over. And I think to some extent, it always feels like a bad time to invest, right? Which is the idea that there's always something going on in the world that makes us pause or makes us reflect on things. It makes us probably, you know, pull back a little bit. And I guess if I take a look back at some historical perspective, you know, 50 or so years ago, we had just an awful situation in the Middle East, uh, which uh, unfortunately we're still seeing evidence of that today. Uh, we had kind of a crisis of confidence in in, in Washington that was known as Watergate. Um, and really, it was kind of a really rough time for the overall psyche of of america uh and you know at that time the the s&p was in kind of a free-for-all we had a, a really bad recession as well but if you look since then you know i think if you invested i think we calculated if you invested twenty thousand dollars uh in january of 73 which is right before all these things i just mentioned really happened um your portfolio would have shrunk by about half so you, you would have lost about half your money or maybe i should say your portfolio would have declined by half you would have actually lost that because hopefully you wouldn't have realized that that loss but nonetheless, since then, the market's up some 35 times since then. So we've had this amazing recovery. Uh, and that's really just a reflection, I think, of the overall uh, stick to the overall ingenuity around the American economy that really should be uh, the emphasized. So the idea that I think everybody feels like it's always a bad time to invest needs to be kind of put aside. And you have to really think about why you're investing and think about the idea of trying to earn a fair return to really kind of meet your obligations. Um, and so for that reason, I think it's always probably a good time to invest. So I would take the, the opposite of the trade. Now, we have, of course make sure you do that in a risk controlled way. You think about your liabilities, think about really what you need the the money for, and uh, and you, you account for that appropriately. But the idea at this time where we are right now, I think it is important to note that there probably is a lot of quote unquote cash on the sidelines. A lot of people have been tempted to, uh, to actually probably overinvest in money market funds because frankly, it's been an attractive place in which to invest. I mean, you could earn a five percent on a money market fund. But I still think there's probably attractive opportunities, and we continue to think that people should modestly extend the duration of their portfolio, think about high quality fixed income uh, and short-term fixed income instruments that we're to see manage. And I think also inside the equity market, you know Steve and his team have done a great job of thinking about active strategies uh, and actively management uh, portfolios that can provide some really uh, enhanced returns too. So I think it's fair to say that there's always risk out there somewhere, Brian. Uh, it's, our, it's our job to try and manage that appropriately and to keep people focused on the long term.
0: Well, thanks for the conversation today, George, Stephen Rajiv. We appreciate your insights. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. As always, past performance is no guarantee of future results. And we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or financial advisor for more information. And we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success.
4: The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private Bank, key bank institutional advisors, key private client, and key investment services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are provided by KeyBank National Association, a member of FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Key Private Bank and KeyBank Institutional Advisors are part of KeyBank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services, LLC, or KIS, a member of FINRA, SIPC, and SEC-registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp Insurance Agency, USA Incorporated, or KIA. KIS and KIA are affiliated with KeyBank. Investments and insurance products are not FDIC-insured, not bank guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. EBank bank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decision. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2023.